0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Last week, voters changed the face of Michigan politics pretty dramatically, and they transformed the rules for voting in our state even more. Proposal 3, called Promote the Vote, will make it easier to vote in a number of ways. No reason absentee voting, straight ticket voting, election day registration, and better provisions for members of the military to cast their votes. So... How is all of this going to be implemented? And what will it mean for the nature of our elections? Also, should the state be going even further to make sure that everyone has access to a ballot? going forward. That is where we begin the conversation today, and we're going to talk all hour about Proposal 3 as our post-election examination of ballot questions kicks off here. Uh, We want to hear from you, too. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What do you think about Proposal 3? What do you think Proposal 3's passage will change about the way we vote here in Michigan? And joining me now to talk about Proposal 3. And what it might mean is Christopher Thomas. He has served as Michigan's election director for 36 years until last year. And he was an advocate for Proposal 3. Chris Thomas, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Yes. Also with us is Steve Beda. He is a Democratic state (coughs) senator from Warren who represents the 9th District. He has repeatedly introduced bills meant to make voting easier and more accessible during his 16 years in the legislature. Steve Beta, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you. Just to clarify, it'd be 14 years, but- uh, Fourteen, but that's county? right. <laughs> seemed like 16. <laughs> that's right. No one serves 16 years anymore, that's, right? That's you true. can Yeah, you're term limited after the 14th. Yep. Uh, so let's start with uh, you, Steve. Uh, you have in- introduced a lot of bills- to open up our voting laws in Michigan, some that go even further than Prop 3. Mm-hmm. But let's start with what your reaction was to this proposal and the fact that it passed on Election Day. Well, number
1: one, I was really happy and uh, maybe you could use the word vindicated because I'd been pushing this ever since I was the first elected. In fact, when I first ran for office, um, these were major issues for me. And uh, I was convinced that the public was on my side on this. That people wanted to see no excuse absentee voting. They wanted to see um, a lot of the barriers of to 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 voting removed. And um, I, I know I had uh, some bipartisan support on it as well, but for for whatever reason, it was basically political. We couldn't get it moved. Um, so it was interesting to watch it go through this cycle because there were so many people who were like, "Well, this is a no-brainer. Well, why ha- hasn't the legislature already done this?" Well, no-brainer in legislature its kind of an oxymoron, I suppose. <laughs> but um, uh, we were really happy to see it go, go through, and uh, I think most people look at it the way I looked at it. It was just common-sense reforms that were solely needed, and uh, the voters spoke, and they spoke very loudly.
0: Uh, let's talk a little more about the legislature. A lot of people's objection to Proposal 3 that I mm-hmm. heard was, these are things that don't belong in the state constitution. These are things that legislatures uh, from time to time ought to take a look at and, and sort of row back or push forward depending on what's going on. At the same time, as you point out, this legislature has been really recalcitrant in, in the way that it deals with the people's business, and there was no real way to to get that done is this, though, a mistake to to sew these things into the Constitution in a way that makes it practically impossible to alter them?
1: That's an argument that's made for every constitutional amendment that is brought forward. And uh, one of the reasons for doing it in, as a constitutional amendment is sometimes the legislature fails to ask. We've had one party control of the state legislature. I, w- I won't be too partisan, but I'll give you a hint. It starts with an R. <laughs> uh, and they have not... Uh, taken this issue up, even though there have been Republican secretaries of state that have supported it and other Republican legislatures that have have done this. Uh, And sometimes the only option is to amend the Constitution. But I do think if you're taking a look at what the Constitution is as a framework of government, it makes sense to enshrine in our Constitution those voting rights and those voting protections that we did with Proposal Mm 3.
0: Chris Thomas, uh, what happens now with the implementation of these proposed these provisions of, of proposal 3 what what will voters notice uh, as as this unfolds
2: well i think most of these are self executing <clears throat> while there may be some cleanup in the election law that'll be necessary just to incorporate them it's they can pretty much go into effect um, by procedural steps taken by the secretary of state so right off Um, you know as you click down the list you know we have automatic registration Um, well that'll change some procedures in the Secretary of State's branch offices for uh, those with applying for a license or changing an address Um, it's not they're not going to see a lot it's going to change the question on how it's asked Uh, so it's going to be an opt-out system rather than an opt-in system so that will garner some more, um, more registrations than, uh, than we currently have, but not a huge number. Um, probably the biggest thing is going to be the, the registration calendar. So the deadlines to register to vote are changing. And now you're going to be able to register using all the different ways of mail or secretary of state's office or clerk's office up to 15 days instead of 30 days. So that is gonna take uh, form changes, procedural changes, and at some point amending the election law just to change the dates that are in there currently. Um, Then the 14 day period, uh, last 14 days before the election where you can register in a clerk's office with proof of residency, that's new. And again, that can be procedurally implemented uh, with election law at some point being amended. And then finally, election day registration, uh, is the major change. And again, that can be procedurally implemented as well. Uh, there will be again, some changes there and procedures for clerks to make sure that it's uniformly applied across the state and is using the qualified voter file on election day as a deterrent to anybody who would try to register more than once. Mm. Um, Probably the area that the legislature would have the most uh, work in is the post-election audits. Um, That states in the constitutional provision that uh, the audits will be done as provided by law. So that's a a grant to the legislature to start taking a hard look at how various audits are being done around the state. Uh, There's the newer risk-limiting audit Uh, that um, is being used. It's a little more scientific, a little more fine um, point to it in terms of making projections on the accuracy. So really, uh, those are some of the major areas of the amendment itself, and um, it doesn't take a lot of registration or uh, legislative uh, activity to get it up and going. Hmm. Uh,
0: I wonder if you think, Chris, this will have an effect on voter registration more than voter participation or, or the opposite? I mean, uh, we, we've always had very high registration here in the state of, of Michigan, north of 90 percent, I think, is is what the numbers are. Do these provisions then push up the numbers of people who show up and actually cast ballots on Election Day?
2: I think what's going to happen, and I left one out, which is the no reason absentee ballot. So there's your, you know, there's your voting provision. Yes. And again, there's not much that's necessary there uh, to implement it. Um, the combination of those two, um, the election day registration or the later regist- and the later registration, and uh, no reason AV, I think will show up in turnout numbers. So those folks that are not registered and it's close to the election and they realize they want to get involved, now there's an avenue, which currently there is not. Um, So it's been shown around the country that you really will have an uptick uh, with the later registration in the last 14 days and Election Day registration. will show you an uptick in turnout. Now, the shift to no-reason AV will be interesting to see how that plays. So we're right now doing about 25 to 27% by absentee. And so we'll see how far those numbers go north than that. that.
0: Whether that goes up. Go ahead, Steve. One of the things I uh, notice
1: as a person who's run for office is that, generally speaking, other than the political geeks like myself, a lot of people really aren't even focusing on the election until maybe a couple right. weeks before the election. So if you're telling, you're telling somebody all oh, 30 days before the election, you have to be registered. There's a lot of things on there that you could uh, frankly procrastinate and put that off. And then you find yourself past that window. Um, and oftentimes, um, after repeated attempts to reach voters, whether it's TV or mail or whatever, people just start like, okay, the elections next week, I have to start focusing on this and remember to go and vote in fact. Um, now this last election was a little different, I think we had a little bit more motivated electorate, and you see that in different elections, different levels of interest, but uh, I think overall this is probably going to help see an uptick um, in, in the number of people who participate.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Steve Beda, a Democratic state senator from Warren who represents the Ninth District, someone who has repeatedly introduced bills meant to make voting easier and more accessible. For Michiganders, also with us is Chris Thomas. He served as Michigan's elections director for 36 years until last year. He, both of them, in fact, uh, were advocates for Proposal Three, which passed last week and makes uh, several provisions uh, part of our constitution: uh, same-day election registration and voting, uh, no reason absentee voting, uh, a number of things, straight straight party ticket voting, uh, something that the legislature took away from Michiganders Mm -hmm. this last time, is also now part of the Constitution. Uh, We're talking about what will happen next uh, and whether Michigan needs to go further in the way that it makes it easier for people to vote. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Did you vote for Proposal 3? Call and tell us why. Call and tell us what you expect to be different now that it has passed, or were you somebody who didn't think this was uh, necessary, either because you didn't think these should be in the Constitution or you just don't support the ideas themselves, uh, give us a call at 313-577-1019 if you want to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag DetroitToday, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Paul in Birmingham. You're up first, Paul. What's on your mind?
3: Hi, uh, you know, I liked a lot of things in Proposal Three, but I ended up voting against it because of the uh, provision about straight-ticket voting. And I know that was an issue uh, last election and with the legislature. But I just think, in my opinion, straight-ticket voting kind of promotes party control over
2: you know down-ballot races, and I think it it kind of promotes an uninformed uh, kind of voter voter base. Uh, people, you know, just kind of go in there. They, they identify generally as Republicans or Democrats, and they tick that box. And I think there's a lot of good candidates down ballot that uh, that you know that that might make some headroom, but can't because their districts tend to be, you know, either you know most of the voters tend to either vote one way or the other um, when straight ticket is available. And I think it just kind of keeps a lot of a lot of good uh, candidates out of out of office down ballot. Paul,
0: I, I, I really appreciate the call and the comments. That is a really great point to raise. This was the first time in many, many years, I guess, that we didn't have straight party ticket voting on the ballot. We don't know what effect that had. And, and in a minute, I want to talk a little about what that might have been. Uh, Democrats were very worried that this would Harm their chances to to do well in the election because uh, because of uh, the lines and things in in places like Detroit doesn't seem like that turned out to be the case. But uh, but make the argument for straight party ticket voting, Steve Bida, and 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 address what what Paul is talking about there. This idea of party control of the ballot of of uh, of not going down and choosing each candidate uh, based on. Who they are necessarily? What's the what's the reason? For I think you can align
1: a on a on a false premise there that people are not making that choice when they're a Democrat or they're a Republican and they feel very strongly about being a Democrat or very strongly about being a Republican and they just want to vote straight ticket. What we're taking away from them is an option to make it, and we also have a long ballot in Michigan, larger longer ballot than most of the other states have. So when we take that option away from them it's not that they're not thinking about it because they're thinking about it they're a democrat for a reason or they're a republican for a reason they don't want to see somebody from the other party in there they want to vote based on that now it's a good good argument to make that um you know people should know who uh, they're voting for and they should know the person's stances and a little bit about that person and and what their qualifications are and and that's that's a legit argument and i think most voters um still vote that way even with the straight ticket option you had the option of going straight ticket, but if you wanted to flip over into another side because you thought that candidate was better qualified or maybe better reflected your values, you could vote for that person. Basically, what straight ticket voting does is it gives an uh, an easy option for people who do want to vote all for one party, and it does help with uh, the, the length of the lines uh, and also uh, ensures ease in voting. Uh, I don't really see a, too much of a dramatic change. In fact, it was, this was an interesting election because we didn't have straight ticket voting on it, we did have longer lines, we did have longer waits, but people swept in all the State Board of Education people, of which are Democrats, were so way in the bottom of the ticket. And so, did it have an impact on how each of the parties performed? N- maybe very, very marginally, but, but largely people went to their, their uh, demographic, whether well, in this case, mostly Democratic, mm. and they voted for those individuals. I think the only difference was we we had longer lines at the polls because of that option. Because He'd you had to dare. go through and get to hit all those little bubbles, all
0: of the all of the different candidates or issues. Chris Thomas, I wonder, as somebody who who managed elections here in the state for a really long time, whether you feel like the 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 things that Democrats were afraid of would 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 result it would come from the 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 straight party ticket being not an option did did we see much of that on election day did we see that effect unfold
2: i I think we did see some longer lines and there's there were some uh efforts out there to actually um uh, get that data and see how that turns out but yes i think there's no question i was in um detroit on election day with the city clerk and uh just uh going to precinct to precinct and yeah, I was timing some voters just you know randomly as as we went to each place, and it was pretty consistently well over 10 minutes uh, to mark that ballot. Wow! And um, as uh, 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 Senator Bita indicated, is that you know that that is an increase, and that is. Uh, The long ballot that Michigan has, and as the legislature consolidated elections over the last decade and put more and more offices onto the general election ballot, Uh, all the school districts, of course, all the townships have been there, and they'll show up in in the presidential election. All the villages are on there now, and uh, they allowed cities to start moving there, so we're going to see more and more cities on the general election ballot. To made it longer. And they did that with the predicate that we had straight party voting. Yes. And that's how it was not going to have a, a detrimental effect to the voter. And by removing the straight party voting, uh, we will have longer lines. Uh, and while we survived those okay this year, uh, if we were to have that in 2020, it would have been uh, some serious problems. Uh, I'd also note that. Um, it doesn't appear looking at these the university boards and the state board of election or education, uh, that it had any effect at all in terms of, um, seeing something different. So the Democrats kind of carried the day and they carried all of those offices as well, just as they did when there was straight party voting straight party voting is a convenience to the voter. The fact that a oval is one oval is filled in does not translate into the intelligence or the preparedness of the voter.
0: Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Proposal 3 with Steve Beda and Chris Thomas. And we're going to continue talking with you, the listeners Tom in Northwest Detroit, Jeff in downtown Detroit, Jay in Westland. We'll get with you next. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, give us a call 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. right today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you have joined us. My guests are Steve Beta, Democratic state senator from Warren, represents the 9th district, someone who has repeatedly introduced bills meant to make voting easier and more accessible during his 14 years in the legislature. Also with us is Chris Thomas. He served as Michigan's election director for 36 years until last year. Both of them were advocates for a proposal 3 called Promote the Vote several provisions that made it easier for people to register and cast their ballots here in the state of Michigan uh, what do you think of proposal 3 did you vote for it did you vote against it were you somebody who thought we really need to put these kinds of things in the constitution or were you wary of that kind of change. Uh, whatever is on your mind, give us a call and let us know. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Hi. Hey. Oh my, this is this is so revealing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I just want to focus on the uh, on the straight party uh voting. Uh uh now we for for decades the uh partisan politic uh uh party type of uh, uh system that we have has been admired and, and envied worldwide. People wanna be able to vote, and the exact reason that the first caller uh uh sort of like uh Uh, condescended on uh, with somebody maybe being not as informed or not as uh, uh, versed in uh, what's going on as other people, but still being able to fully participate in the process is the whole reason why it's designed the way it is. I should not have to have to have a college degree or know everything about every candidate. I should be able to align myself with a group that has my beliefs, core beliefs and be able to vote with them. That is what the American policy... Uh, uh, political policy is about, me being able to participate at every level of society, no matter what, I'm an equal person when it comes to the vote. Mm. To take that away using these manipulations of the truth and these little condescending uh, ways of saying that everybody is not capable of making a decision as some others, is a real low-level way of discriminating against the individual who may not have went to the same college that you mm. did, or whatever.
0: Yeah. Aaron, I appreciate the very passionate thoughts uh, and the call uh, about straight-ticket voting. That was a really wonderful explanation of the reasons uh, that we that we have that or had it for, for as long as we did. Uh, let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Hi, Good day, uh, Steve. Um, I voted for proposal three for the fact that I feel like uh, the Republicans uh, I are mean, a party of uh, choices, and then when you look at what they, they tried to do, I look at it like power grab, because in 2014, Michiganders voted for Gary Peters as senator, and uh, Snyder, a Republican, as, uh, uh, as governor. And to take away that right for us from us, thinking that we, we can't think for ourselves, was just kind of uh, uh, ridiculous. So I kind of I voted mm. for Proposal Ture for that.
0: Mm. Uh, Jay, I appreciate the call and, and the comments. Uh, Steve Beda, this idea of expanding voter rights, expanding voter access, as Jay points out, bumps up against some of the things that we see Republicans mm-hmm. trying to do. Not as much here in Michigan. I feel like uh, it's not as dramatic here as it is in some other states where there's, there are voter purges going on and and things like that. But But there is this narrative tension between the two sides in terms of who should be able to vote and how easy it should be and Republicans do seem to to believe that keeping that as n- narrowly defined as possible is the way for them to win,
1: yeah that uh and even strangely enough in in the face of some of the facts that really doesn't show that maybe straight ticket voting does straight ticket voting also helps Republicans in a lot of areas and it's helped Republicans at various type of wave elections um so the idea that it somehow benefits one party or another is uh I think it's a false one. In fact, this this election cycle is probably a great great example without having straight ticket voting yet the Democrats, the Democrats showed up. Had it been a Republican year, it would probably have been the same It thing. would have turned out differently. Um, and and right. it, it, the, the only difference there was it was ease in voting. And as the, the previous caller talked about, you know, he has a political philosophy and he, his political philosophy, he wants to vote for the people that align with that political philosophy. And that makes sense. And that's an option that the voters have. You don't have to vote straight ticket voting. In fact, I come from a county and from a district that has a, uh, has a pretty good reputation of being pretty independent. There's a lot of split ticket voters out in my area so you see that type of dynamic a lot now as far as the voter suppression issues or removing uh, uh, voters from rolls yeah that does seem to be part of a national narrative it's a sad national narrative because we should be looking at making sure that people are being able to exercise those rights you have to have security in there and of course not that's, that's anything less than that but some of the the ways that they've been disenfranchising voters over the years and we've seen more and more of this and particularly some of the other states that that uh, um, we've seen some efforts in Florida, for example, in Georgia that are uh, a, a bit alarming. Um, we've seen some of that, though, in Michigan. I think the attack on straight-ticket voting, the refusal for many, many, many years of a uh, Republican majority even take up, no excuse, absentee voting, which is about the simplest thing that you could have changed,
0: um, you know, kind of begs the question, do they really want to have people engage in the right. process? What's, what's the end goal there? Chris Thomas, I, I wonder what you think we ought to use, what measures we ought to use to evaluate the success or failure of the things that we passed with Proposal 3. As I said earlier, we already have uh, just about everybody in the state who's eligible to, to, to register to vote uh, registering. So how can we tell if Proposal 3 is doing what we want it to do?
2: Well, one real simple thing on Election Day registration is watch college Um, times. College students uh, do have some difficulties uh, in terms of getting registered and the first-time vote-in-person requirement. So Election Day registration is going to open some doors uh, for those folks to register. So the use of that would be quite evident. The other would be the... um, um, look at the data on, uh, use of the absentee ballot. So now if you don't meet one of the reasons, um, you can't vote absentee. So with this proposal, everybody can. So we will start to see whether we start creeping up in terms of the number and percentage of, uh, on the election. Turnout comes from absentee voting. So that will be, uh, clearly um, an indication and there's a lot of data that the secretary of state's office has on the registration rates at their branch offices. So automatic registration, um, definitely be able to track the increases that go on there. So there's a lot of data that's uh, out there that can be used to monitor the success of this, but really the overall is is that it's now available. So while people may not need it right now, uh, you never know when the day comes uh, when you've moved and haven't gotten yourself re-registered and missed the deadline, and there it is. Or that you've been canceled, and you didn't open your mail, and you didn't return the little card, and you didn't vote for a couple of elections, and all of a sudden you want to vote. Now you have a safety net that allows you to go in on election day and get registered and cast a ballot. Mm.
0: Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Jeff in downtown Detroit. Jeff, welcome to Detroit. Today. Hey. Good
4: morning, Stephen, as hey. well as your guests. I am Jeff very happy that the proposal passed. Uh, I was really upset and caring on when they took away the straight party voting. I mean, the senator should have been and many others should have been as well in that, you know, they drug Virgil Smith out so he can vote it out of committee. And then they told a lot of their colleagues that they were going to put no reason absentee ballot next after they finished that one, and then just took it off the table. Could the senator uh, enlighten us on that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had heard my speech that night, you would uh, know exactly how I felt, because I was actually uh, um, uncharacteristically fiery uh, on the, f- the Senate floor that day. Yeah, they they actually um, had made a, a couple different uh, promises. Uh, one was to include um, no-excuse absentee voting in the straight-ticket voting elimination, and that was a bad thing. But the way they brought it up at the, really almost in the dead of night uh, at the last minute um, was uh, was really, really, really deplorable. Um, you know, I think there was uh, certainly um, a difference between the House and the Senate on that, and the, the House had voted it out with mostly on partisan lines, but um, there, there was a at least a recognition that if you didn't have that no-excuse absentee voting uh, option in there. Elimination of straight-ticket voting was going to impact uh, a lot of a lot of voters, certainly uh, result in longer lines. And, and I think, per- personally, that was it was aimed at more urban areas that had l- larger populations and maybe a little lesser number of people that voted absentee. That was what it seemed to be directed to, and it certainly was a... Uh, nefarious uh, activity on their part. And uh, I think you could probably find my speech on YouTube and you'll see I was a little angry that night with the way they did it. And uh, you know, anybody that recognizes the sacrifices, today's Veterans Day by the way, I wanna shout out to veterans, but when you think about the veterans and you think about people who died for this country and the work that they've done, whether it's in the civil rights struggle, as as, um, women's right to vote, uh, all these different movements over the years, voting is so important. And voting is really a central part of our government and in our, our way of life in our society. So, you know, any activity that's designed to restrict that, um, and particularly restrict that on some sort of partisan uh, basis, is is wrong, and it's something that should be uh, denounced and denounced loudly. and And I, I appreciate your your question quite a bit. Thanks. <laughs>
0: All right, Steve Bida, Democratic State Senator from Warren, represents the ninth district. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Thank you. today. And Chris Thomas served as Michigan's election director for 36 years until last year. Great to hear from you as well. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk with the director of the ACLU of Michigan, the organization that was largely responsible for Prop 3. Also, don't forget if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you have joined us. We are talking about Proposal 3, Promote the Vote, the ballot proposal which passed last week on Election Day, and expanded options and availability for voting for citizens here in the state of Michigan. Uh, Joining us now to talk a little more about The thinking behind Prop 3 is Carrie Moss. She is the outgoing ACLU director uh, of Michigan, uh, uh, director of ACLU of Michigan, and she is the incoming ACLU director of Affiliate Support and Nationwide Initiatives. Uh, Carrie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for yeah, having that's me, You've got these sort of in-between titles right now. Uh, it's, yes, <laughs> no, I'm, it's a very strange feeling. <laughs> You're going from one thing to another. That's a great thing, though. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about ACLU's role with Prop 3. Uh, talk about the history of the organization's interest in this ballot initiative and why you figured, figured hey, let's get this on the ballot and it'll probably pass.
5: Well... For years, the ACLU of Michigan and many other advocacy groups, NAACP, League of Women Voters, many have been you know, struggling to modernize Michigan's election system. Michigan is was at the bottom of the pack uh, going into uh, even the 2016 election. The legislature had just been unwilling to uh, bring about any reforms. Over 37 states had one or more of the reforms that was in Proposal 3. So coming out of the 26th presidential election, uh, we saw an opportunity to really double down, partly driven by the incredible interest and activism we saw here in Michigan of people wanting to be engaged, and we could could feel the momentum there uh, for voting rights reforms. Also partly, you know, watching on the national landscape, a number of voting suppression tactics just kept kind of taking hold, and we knew that Things like same-day registration and um, uh, absentee voting, which is essentially early voting, could really be a stopgap. So with that in mind, we kind of pulled together a great coalition and, um, and, and kind of dusted off um, a lot of the policies that we'd been trying to get through the legislature. And there you have it. That was kind of how it all happened.
0: Were, were you surprised that it passed and that it passed with the
5: support that it had? I wasn't. Our polling always showed uh, that we were in the high 60s and that the proposal was extremely popular, not only among Democrats, but also Republicans and independents. So uh, I was surprised, I think, that there wasn't stronger opposition uh, at some point. But aside from that, um, what we ended up seeing, we passed it 67 percent. It was even probably a little higher than some of our polls showed. So that was really encouraging. And another really interesting fact is that we got, Proposal 3 got 500,000 more votes than the new governor or Senator Stabenow, right. which I think shows that uh, Republicans really did want this uh, and that they're also, Republicans are not down with the voting suppression agenda.
0: Uh, I want to read a comment from Twitter here and have you react to it. Diane says, Proposals two and three, and two was uh, the gerrymandering uh, proposal. Uh, They're both intended to enfranchise voters. All efforts to make voting harder is anti-democratic, lowercase d and capital D. We supposedly have the greatest nation in terms of the voice of the people, but we have some of the worst election setups. If you put two and three together, I think they represent one of the largest changes in the way that we cast our ballots and choose our representatives that that I can remember certainly happening at one time here in the state of Michigan does this does this move us more toward the kind of uh, balance and fairness that someone like Diane is is talking
5: about the two of these together well I've been all year saying that uh, it's Pro- proposals 2 and 3 are a 1 2 punch for democracy and maybe a 2 3 <laughs> punch for democracy i think it's Weimer modified my statement um yeah no i uh, together it's really powerful so uh proposal 3 could potentially increase voter turnout in the 2020 presidential election by up- Words of four hundred thousand votes, two to nine percent, right? So that's huge in terms of making sure that every voice is heard. Uh, And then proposal two will have a significant impact after the next census. So, in in you know the and putting power in an independent redistricting commission to draw legislative lines. So the two do different things, and together are really powerful. Mm. Uh, Let's take a couple more calls. We've got uh, some.
0: Other folks who want to participate, and if you want to jump in on this conversation, give us a call three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Scott and Novi. Scott, welcome to Detroit today.
3: Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Um, you know, I'm principal. I voted for, for three. I think that should be easier for everyone to vote, and then we're better off. However, you know, my concern uh, remains that, um, uh, especially in the city of Detroit, in uh, Highland Park, there, there are a large number of assisted living facilities. And uh, we discovered in the mid-90s, our daughter, who has cerebral palsy, had been registered to vote. Even though she can't read, can't write, she was voting in the Detroit elections. You no, know, we put a, and she had been registered through Motor Voter. So we put an end to that. However, um, you know, there are a number of people living uh, around the state who don't have uh, family members who are conscientious or even participating in the lives of their people. Um, so, you know, it, it concerns me that that, uh, that community is ripe for abuse, uh, given, given the, the, uh, the new proposal uh, that will take, take effect.
0: And I'm
3: uh, w- wondering what kind of safeguards hmm. are in place to uh, prevent that, that community from being exploited.
0: Scott, I really appreciate the call and the questions, uh, Carrie. There's there's always this this question, I guess, out there about whether making voter registration easier, making absentee ballot voting easier, whether these open up the process to some sort of chicanery, right? The people doing things on behalf of other people who are not necessarily consenting. This whole idea of voter fraud—how how do you how do you answer those concerns?
5: Well, I don't know how Proposal Three would exacerbate that, uh, and there's certainly never been any evidence um, of, of voter fraud or uh, of people manipulating the process. I um, imagine that that there can be abuses, but uh, but I would think they're rare, um, far between. What proposal one of the things proposal three did that I think is really important and, and you talked about briefly in the last segment was it, it, the inclusion of an audit um, now really will uh, ensure that the integrity of every election is monitored and and monitored using best practices. And so until now that's been pretty hit or miss in in this state. So I think actually now our elections are going to be more secure. Mm. Uh, I want to pivot a little and
0: talk some more about the ACLU and what it has been up to. This has been a big year for the ACLU in terms of not just support for the work that you're doing, but the kinds of things uh, that you got involved in. Um, uh, One of them was the detainment, uh, the detention of Chaldean and other immigrants here Mm -hmm. in in Southeast Michigan. Uh, that made headlines when it happened. I know that the ACLU was was deeply involved in it, but of course, as as often happens, it's kind of faded from from our from our vision at this point. Can you give us an update on on where we are with all of that?
5: Yeah. So this was, you know, in June 2017. On uh, over a few days, ICE came into Michigan and arrested over a hundred members of the Chaldean community. Uh, for deportation, um, all Iraqi planning to deport them. Many of them uh, ha- had not been to Iraq in decades. Um, have no relationship, no family there, and in fact faced risk of torture, death, or persecution because, because they're of a their member of a religious police. minority. Correct. Um, we put together a legal team. Uh, it was an incredible team. And uh, stopped the deportations, we were able to get the court to agree that they're all entitled to uh, hearings on their uh, removal orders and an opportunity to get bond, and the judge also granted nationwide class action status to everybody around the country who was arrested in that same short period. So we ended up representing over a 1,000 people nationwide, and most of them have um, not been deported, our lead... um, plaintiff Sam Hamama, just an incredible man, very courageous uh, is is was released on bond. So we're very proud of this work. Uh, we really you know worried so much about what could happen to people um, if they were returned to Iraq. Iraq apparently had promised to take them back and then said that they wouldn't take them back. And so what's happened is this community got caught up in national politics. Uh, and and really, you know, at risk of of loss of life. So, and and they are part of a much broader
0: community that I think is is more on edge, is more under attack uh, right now in this in this era of this particular presidential administration, where it's sort of turning on their head on its head, uh, lots of things that that we have taken for granted about who's here, mm-hmm. how long they're here what their status is uh, the, the administration's been very uh, aggressive about challenging those notions they did it here uh, they've done it with with uh, lots of other with lots of other folks uh, and and what i worry about all the time i guess is even if you win in court as as it mm-hmm. looks like you're going to do in this case the disruption to somebody's life of being detained of being threatened with, uh, you know, uh, expulsion and, and being sent to a country where your life might be on the line. It it has the potential to change us, I think, as a nation and change the way we think of each other and, and relate to each other.
5: No, uh, the, immigrants are under attack in a way that I think, you know, we've not seen in decades and decades. Uh, there's no question that we need nationwide immigrants. Immigration reform. That's been true for decades and decades. But rather than really take that on, you know, we have seen immigrants being demonized um, and targeted. Uh, What happened earlier this year with family separation and children being kind of ripped from their parents' arms, I think, is uh, completely unconscionable. In fact, we were busy here in Michigan working with the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center to reunite. Many of those families, but the damage done to those children, I, I just can't. It's it's kind of unfathomable. So, do we need nas- nationwide immigration reform? Absolutely. Is this kind of aggressive demonizing of immigrants, um, a distortion of the facts of what they contribute to society and taxes and and work and and everything else, uh, is you know a, a real test of our democracy and our character and our values. I mean, this is a nation born of immigrants this is a nation that has always uh, had a policy of bring me your tired your poor your hungry yearning to be free and that is not what's going on right now and, and i worry very much about um the impact that demonizing will have in in uh fomenting hate
0: hmm. i also want to talk about the aclu's involvement with tax foreclosures here uh, in the city of Detroit there was uh, a settlement uh, reached about the over the dispute of of assessments here in mm-hmm. the city the city had not adjusted assessments as as the the, the market crashed and people's property values uh, went went way down Um, I think most people saw the settlement as a step in the right direction. But is there more to be done with the tax foreclosure issue from a legal standpoint, from the ACLU standpoint?
5: So this involved, right, the uh, failure, mistakes made in reassessing property taxes. Thousands of Detroiters were at risk or lost their homes because of it. The settlement really was, uh, and this is to the city's credit, you know, a um, an agreement about fixing that uh, and and making sure going forward that that it is easier for people to get poverty tax exemptions when they qualify. And so it was a really kind of ridiculous, arduous, impossible process before. So I think there's a lot uh, uh, a lot of good work ahead and a commitment to to fix it so that. It won't even require additional legal intervention, I think, if the city does a good job. So kudos to the city for settling that case. Uh, But yes, I mean, there is the, I I think, larger problem of people being foreclosed out of homes for really, uh, you know, uh, uh, the wrong reasons, right? Not simply because they can't pay their their mortgages anymore. And And it requires a real commitment uh, from the business community, I think, and and the city, an ongoing commitment to do what we can to make sure that uh, that people are not unfairly and wrongly losing their houses.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the ACLU honored Amy Stevens at its annual mm-hmm. dinner last week. Uh, do you? Th- See things changing for trans and gay people in a positive way in our country i, I we had Amy on the show and talked to her about what happened to her uh, these are These are stories that you would hope were not were not things that were happening right now in our country and yet they they are are we are we moving in the right direction and are we moving fast
5: enough well i th- are we moving in the right direction? Yes. Right. We now have marriage equality. Uh, unfortunately, in Michigan, uh, it's still legal to discriminate against people who are gay because our state human rights law has not been expanded to protect that community. I think that is a a, a, a challenge uh, that this legislature has got to take on. The business community has been calling for it for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, right now in this political climate uh it is so divided and and people are being so demonized that uh, I think it it is you know we've taken a step back for sure uh, but we know that you know the wheels of justice turn slowly and and you know for every step back we take two or three steps forward. so I'm over the long run I'm optimistic but but this is a difficult time. there's no question uh,
0: do you do you think that um Uh, Some of the things that we are seeing nationally in terms of the way in which people are changing the way they think and feel about these issues is what will push legislation, uh, the the cultural change, I guess, that I Mm -hmm. feel like we're witnessing um is that the the sort of strength of of change
5: yeah i think the voter turnout we saw in this election is is only the beginning of the story it's mm-hmm. not the end i have never in my entire career seen uh, so much interest, excitement, enthusiasm, and engagement in the election process as I've seen the last two years. I think it is a new day. I think youth vote. Uh, uh, I think youth have been radicalized, and and I just by saying that word, I mean that they understand the importance of uh, participating in civically. And and they're galvanized, particularly on the the gun issue, and that was certainly we see that, saw that in numbers in the election last week. I think we're going to see it. Uh even bigger, uh, and the 2020 election. So, uh, yeah, there's a new generation of leaders. We have now for the first time in history, a hundred women in Congress. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of firsts, a lot of women of color getting mm-hmm. elected to office. Our first two Muslim women right in the country now, the first native American woman in Congress. Uh, I've, uh, So many young women running uh, and trying, and so uh, again, never seen that before, and I think it—it's all very good sign.
0: Okay, Carrie Moss, outgoing director at the ACLU of Michigan, incoming ACLU director of affiliate support and nationwide initiatives. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. So appreciate you. Mm Uh, On Thursday, November 15th, Detroit Today is going to team up with Bridge Magazine, Detroit Public Television, and Chalkbeat for a community conversation about how students frequently change schools in the city of Detroit and how that is having an impact on education in our region. You are invited to attend at the Detroit Public Library on Woodward, In Midtown, we're going to be recording the conversation to air later as a program here on Detroit Today. Detroit School Superintendent Nikolai Vitti and the CEO of the United Way, Darian Driver, will be among our guests. You can find out more details at WDET.org slash events. That's going to do it for me today. I hope you will be back tomorrow because I will. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.